The summer is over for the Pacers. On this episode of the Fieldhouse Files, Tony East of Locked On Pacers. He joins to discuss the team's offseason, all the key storylines entering training camp, which begins on Tuesday. And welcome into the Fieldhouse Files, the podcast where I take you behind the scenes with the Pacers, talk to individuals on and around the team, and tell you what you need to know. First of all, sorry for the uh, brief hiatus here. Moving is never fun, and that's what I'm doing. So this is the new first podcast in the new office here, and uh, I can't believe the offseason is over. Earlier this week, we had the Pacers golf outing, which is essentially the unofficial start to the Pacers season. Um, and then on Thursday, something special went down. I'll get into that and more here is... Now on the podcast, I'm joined by Tony East, who does all kinds of things in covering the Pacers, but I think primarily producing a daily podcast, Locked On Pacers. Tony, what's going on, man? Uh, I was not at the golf outing, so my official start to the season hasn't come yet, but as we'll talk about, that's <laughs> Monday for me with media day. It's about to get busy, and it was weird being the first normal off season in like three years again with the the time off i'm not used to that you got lucky with your moving timing yeah and, and that was absolutely strategic i planned that for that very reason but you raise a good point here I, it's been since 2019 since we've had a true off season tr- really since the players and the team have had that true off season where number one their bodies can rest a little bit um you have kind of that true off season in terms of free agency in terms of summer league being back, all those different things that really are kind of routine for all of us. But I think we've really missed out on, but even more so the challenge has been the condensed scheduling that we can finally move on from, I think. Yeah, definitely. There's going to be more spread out everything. And I I think the Pacers are in a unique spot with how they've been impacted by the shorter and changed off seasons because they did play in the bubble. They were a fringe playoff team the year after under Nate Bjorken in that like, if they have a dozen players, 25 or less on their team this season, a lot of their players have never had a normal offseason like this. Like, every everybody drafted in 2020 onward has never really had anything like this. Even guys drafted in 2019s and say the pre-draft cycle. So this summer for the Pacers will even be a unique experience of, like, getting on that timeline, getting to work out together more, getting refreshed and back on the same page in a way that hasn't been the case for a lot of these young players. Second year under Rick Carlisle, and I don't think anyone could believe he came in here thinking, yeah, we're going on, not even just a rebuild or retool. We're going to the bottom of the barrel and hitting the lottery for the third straight season, which is, I'm setting the expectations. That's what you Pacer fans should expect here is another uh, lottery-type season. But, Tony, I think that the thing here we finally have is a direction, and that's something that this franchise has kind of lacked for the last two or three seasons. Let's try this. Let's try a stopgap. Let's maybe run it back one more time with the team, and the trouble is, more than anything, injuries. And if you notice this roster, so many of those guys that we answered questions constantly about with injuries, with TJ Warren, with Malcolm, Edmund Sumner, who we both like and probably wanted him to bring back, a lot of injuries there. That's one thing, knock on wood, hopefully they steer clear of more so and have more of a durability to their roster. Yeah, definitely something that was it seemed like a priority in a lot of their acquisitions too. Buddy Heald played in every, basically every game of his whole career, only missing a few here or there. The only one he missed last season was in the process of being traded to the Pacers. Tyrese Halberton played every game after being traded here. Jalen Smith only missed a couple, right? Durability is certainly something they do not want to be <laughs> a problem anymore. And I, I get why that, that Kevin Pritchard viewed this as 
you know, a market inefficiency, the Pacers can say, hey, we can get better talented players if we can keep them healthy. But it totally didn't work out and was part of their struggle. So I think that acquiring more durable players, leaning in on having the same guys and having a more consistent game plan will be something that Rick Carlisle with a younger team will be very happy about this year. And we will be happy about How surprised are you that they are finally admitting what is going down, right? Because I guess it's not even that. It's that truly Herb Simon's on board with this because I think it's been necessary for a couple years now. Obvious hesitation for many factors, most of all being if you're irrelevant in this market, you know, people will turn their money and their attention elsewhere. The local TV package certainly doesn't help that. Colts losing right now, I guess, helps that. Um, but IU basketball on the other side, probably a top three team team in the Big Ten. I think you'll see a lot more eyes diverted there. The difference here, though, Tony, is the fact that this roster, forget wins and losses, I think a lot of the our audience is really fascinated to see what can Tyree produce. Will Matherin back up his big words? What will Miles look like in a contract year, etc.? Yeah, I you know you were there last December when we talked to Herb Simon, and this was after the reporting and the comments from every player about like, hey, we're we're probably going to change directions at some point. We're trying to get Miles Turner more involved, like. The sky was, was falling, to be frank. And, yeah. you know, Herb Simon even said at that time, with the Pacers probably five games under 500, I believe, and obvious trades coming, he he does not like teardowns. He does not like being an owner who will be running a team that that takes the route that the Pacers are currently now taking nine months later, which is why it's, it, it's so surprising to me. Not that it's the wrong choice. I think that the Pacers have said the right things and determined that, hey, going for the, a longer-term approach with the higher ceiling is – is better given what we've done for years and years leading up to this. But now that they're doing it, I was just Herb Simon being on board is so surprising to me given the last decades, my entire lifetime, basically of how the Pacers have approached team building. So I think that's a pretty significant step from them to sort of monitor that situation. And I get a lot of people saying, well, you know, they already are low in attendance and and there's a lot of fan apathy. And yes, there is. Uh, But I also think fans understand that when you are, you know, you're not supposed to be good. That can actually be, more fun in a way there's less expectations you're just watching specific players their growth eventually expectations will come there will be you know this will be the third year in a row that they don't make the postseason like that's a lot in the NBA you know the expectations will come eventually but this year kind of is more about hope and selling hope in the future and I think that is something that fans can get behind for a little bit as they go into a year with a younger team yeah there has to be a message there has to be a direction and I think we're finally seeing that with the Pacers and in much as we want to admire and I think appreciate some of those streaks in the past we covered, right? Like I think back to during the pandemic, what was it? 31 consecutive seasons with a winning record at home. That's admirable. Incredible. Um, I think it was 29 of 35 years in the playoffs. That's great. But then you also consider what JJ Reddick kind of embellished a little bit, but you get his <laughs> point when he's saying, Hey, what we've done, what the Pacers have done over the last year is just live in the middle. And you know what that gets you? Not much other than being kind of relevant. Sure, they've had some high years during that stretch, but now there will be a couple of years. I won't quite say bottoming out by any means because there is a lot of talent on this roster. But I, the clear shift in direction, I think, in a couple of years has a real chance to pay dividends versus what they have continued to do over the last several years. I agree with that, and I thought something Kevin Pritchard said uh, when we talked with him on what was that Thursday? I yeah. think my, the days are all blending together yep. for me already. Uh, was that, you know, he he didn't shoot down the word rebuild in, in a way that you'd consider shooting it down. But he said, you know, 
I don't view this as a rebuild. I view it as a build. Like they already feel like they did the bottom out part. They have the the base now and they're going up, which I think is an interesting way to look at it is, okay, they're already on the climb upward. They're not, you know, there's still some assessment and, and discovery of ta- of skills and talents can, that's going to go on this season of player growth and things like that. But, you know, he already views the, the re part of that is done. They traded away the vets. They got the young pieces. They would like to get more, and they still have the ability to do so. But they're on the path up now, which is an interesting viewpoint from him. On Thursday, what Tony's alluding to is the Pacers front office invited a handful of us to the practice facility, mostly off the record, but a chance for us to hang out with them, get to know them a little bit more on a personal basis, I think, versus like a quick coffee here or seeing them as we walk up the stands or <laughs> anything like that. Um, and I think that is really valuable. Um, this is the first time they've done it. Um, it I, you know, I think it's incredibly valuable now and would have been great you know, in the past. So I give them credit to, to them for, for doing that. The other thing I also appreciate um, with all this is we're talking basketball again. Like how much of this offseason, this is to the detriment, Tony, I think, of the NBA is the storylines, especially driven by TV. It's Kevin Durant and, Kev- and Kyrie Irving. It's Russell Westbrook nonsense. Um, it's the troubles with Robert Sarver. That gets the attention versus, you know, Pacers basketball or Nets basketball or what whatever, right? Those t- – those type of things. So I look forward to here coming up Monday. We'll talk some basketball, a little bit of contract stuff, obviously mostly with miles Turner. Um, but then we can shift things back. What are, what are maybe a couple things atop your mind going into this week? Yeah. Um, in general, looking at just kind of their first week alone is media day. We won't find this stuff out, but as sort of practices progresses, like who looks good or improved because, on a younger team, you're going to go into a situation where there's a lot of guys who have a chance to really pop and look like a better player from year whatever they were in last year to this year. And, you know, we've already heard whoever has looked better and things like that, but actually seeing it in action ourselves a little bit and yeah. preseason's not long after that, that is what I think is valuable for this franchise. You know, they already kind of know that Hal Burton's going to look good and there's sort of some expectation that Matherin and Chris Duarte will be interesting guys to watch. But I'm talking about all the other guys. Like, does Jalen Smith look more consistent and better? How does Isaiah Jackson look? Does O'Shea Brissett look like he's taken a step forward? Aaron Neesmith, Batadze, guys like that, you know, can they prove that they're a part of this Pacers core? Because they have a lot of darts that they're kind of throwing at the wall around those key guys. And I think that'll be one of my biggest things to watch this week is, like, of this young team that is trying to get a lot of young players in to see who sticks and who doesn't, which one of those guys do look like? They're going to stick on it because that a lot of the season is going to be about evaluation, just like that. It's funny they got a lot of guards and a lot of centers, big men, <laughs> but not much on the wing. Really, they need that PG archetype, is what they've been lacking for the last several years. My, I mean, not biggest question. That's probably Miles, if we're being honest. But one big question I have is, what are we doing here with the bigs, right? Because there's too right. much and just not enough minutes to go around. My my sense is. They're trying to move off Daniel Tice. He's trying to get in a winning situation. Trouble is contract a little higher than most teams would like. I think personally, Gogo and the Pacers would benefit from from parting ways. There's just no real opportunity. Um, I, I think we've seen, based on playing time and how he's used, that Goga is not a big uh, – Rick doesn't have a big belief in Goga or at least like his playing style and would rather go with, for example, like a Terry Taylor at five a lot of times or uh, someone else. And, and Goga just needs minutes. He needs reps. Maybe he'll get it now, but I just don't see that happening. So 
I'd like to see some clarification from the bigs because there are just far too many. And to go along with that, Tony here, Jalen Smith too, like it's nice he was able to resign, but can he really functionally play well at that four consistently? That's a question he's going to have to answer. Yeah, and the, the, a lot of the questions about the bigs not only are this year question, but like a long-term kind of question, you know, Turner and Taylor and Goga all in a contract year, right? Like if the, not only are the Pacers figuring out, those guys are all trying yeah. to figure it out and establish their long-term NBA future. So how they cut up those minutes and who plays and who plays well. And in Jalen Smith's case, can he play well at a, a new position in the NBA? You know, he's a four at Maryland, so it's not like brand new, but it, that stuff's all going to matter quite a bit because the Pacers – while it seems like they have a lot of front court guys, it's still kind of an incomplete rotation because of the future of those guys. Yeah, and yeah, he did play some at the four, but I remember his first day here. He was like, I can play the four, but I've played the five my entire life. Right. Um, and offensively, I, I'm less concerned. Defensively, like him guarding the fours of today or, or getting put in a pick and roll, I can see other teams tr- really trying to exploit that a lot. Um Another question mark, I think a little bit is Buddy Healed. Just what is he? Um, I love his durability. You cannot have enough shooting with a guy like Buddy Healed, but also I kind of think more for him. He's a guy that hasn't participated in the playoffs and has been in the league, I think, seven years going on. That's got to be a motivating factor rather than going through this rebuild for a couple years coming off this contract and then. Probably he'll be trying to get one more big contract. Um, I see him as a guy like Daniel Tice that it's probably best for both sides to move on for for one reason or another. Yeah, and and he's an interesting one to me because we don't know if he's going to start or come off the bench either. And I know that in the past he really cared about that with the Kings to an extent. And I understand the merit for the Pacers of him or Duarte or even Matherin being the guy who starts or doesn't. But if he starts, you're adding some spacing. Everyone else has a lot more room to operate, but it might make more sense to give as many minutes as you can to Duarte, Matherin, and Halbert and all together. So that's an interesting thing to monitor with him. And you're right, he has never been in the playoffs, never been on a contending team. And ironically, given his skill set as a shooter who can really space it out, like a contender is the perfect spot for him, right, in, in, in theory. So I'll be curious how his season shakes out and what role they envision for him because I kind of can see it going Either way, there's a reason he's been in trade chatter all summer. So, you know, he really clicked when he got here, right? You'll remember he he had a very – I think this is one of the most telling interviews we've ever done with a player is, you know, usually when a player gets traded, they just say all the classic, <laughs> like, oh, I'm excited to be here. I have XYZ memories here. And Buddy Heald got here, and he was like, yeah, I did not like Sacramento. You know, like that, that's all he was saying that day he got traded here. I think he's excited to, to be with a new franchise, and if that continues, he played a lot better here than he did with the Kings uh, over the, the last half of the season. So is he that player? Can he be over a full season? Like, that would be a huge deal for the Pacers, even, no matter what his role is. I think I'm leaning towards starting him, both because of his experience and also capitalizing off the chemistry and relationship he has with Tyrese. Why not? Why separate them when they've had, what, a two years of playing together? I think you keep maximizing that. And we saw that a little bit. With Tristan Thompson being brought in last year, he star- or played a lot with those guys just so there was some familiarity um, with everything in those group. I think I-, I could see, personally, it'd be Tyrese, Buddy, and Duarte bring Matherin off the bench at least to start. I know there's high expectations, and he's a lottery pick, but he's got a lot of years ahead of him. I'm all for kind of letting him settle in and, and not applying that pressure so early, knowing uh, what this season could be about. Then from there, a lot of different questions. 
including Duarte too, by the way, I should mention, because I was kind of expecting him to need another surgery from what I had gathered. And then we saw him play one game in summer league after that folk, uh, that foot and toe big injury uh, continued to bother him. But it doesn't sound like that's the case, so that is very good news, that that big toe seems to be doing okay. And going into training camp here, Pacers, from what I gather, don't have any major injuries, just kind of nicks and bruises, soreness, that type of thing. So I do like that um, going in. Maybe the next thing is the veteran. The team doesn't have that in terms of leadership, the guy that can come off the bench if needed, but more so can to be that Udonis Haslam role. Right now, nothing's changed with Lance. That's basically out the door. Don't expect for that to happen. They have James Johnson, Langston Galloway. JJ makes the most sense. Um, but I think, Tony, they're going to play it out and see what the vibes are like through training camp. Yeah, it's really interesting looking at the vets. That's something I've kind of talked about, too, is like, you know, Rick Carlisle wanted the toughness factor. I think James Johnson falls into that boat well. But of the vets they have, none of them check the boxes like perfectly. Like TJ McConnell's a good vet, but he's never had like the deep playoff run to to constitute that in the perfect way. And like Daniel Tice and Langston Galloway have been on finals teams, but like they were kind of fit players or role players and won't even be playing as much with this Pacers team. Galloway, who even knows if he'll make the roster. So, you know, James Johnson's like made a conference finals and he was on a rotation for a playoff team literally last season and is really tough like he kind of checks a lot of the boxes so I think he's a good vet in that way even though he won't be playing but this is a team that I think Rick Carlisle said it has kind of chased toughness for a while now and still needs sort of a lot of the vets to pass along advice I think having vets on young teams is really important and so figuring out who the right guys are to kind of be those leaders is going to be interesting like the longest the second longest tenured pacer is Goga like you know they're they're (laughs) going to be in a unique spot with how they handle veteran leadership and who can play and kind of show it off on the floor. Yeah, they they won't keep both of those veterans should they keep one of them. And then that's that would set the roster right now at 14, and I like that. That would leave one open roster spot. They still have one two-way slot available, which I also like. I haven't liked in the last several years, many years actually, that they've kind of went in with training camp with a full roster in terms of guaranteed contracts and two ways already called for, because then that kind of eliminates the competitiveness. Um, maybe the, the battles in camp, if things are already settled a little bit and then other teams make cuts as well, and you don't have a roster spot if a guy becomes available. So that's one thing uh, there that I really like Daniel Tice. Do you see any way he's, he's with this team more than two or three months? Cause I certainly don't. Uh, yeah. I mean, what there's no argument for him to play. Like, even if you, say the Pacers are trying to be a play-in team this year with the roster they have, they still probably wouldn't have him be one of their three or four rotation bigs. You know, Smith would be in there, Brissett would be in there, Turner would be in there. I suppose he could get like five minutes beyond those guys, but even Isaiah Jackson's close to his impact. So there's just no real role for him on this team, even if, you know, the the thing is that I've thought about is, we alluded to this already, like it was helpful for Tyrese and really all the Kings guys to have other Kings guys there. So maybe for a little bit, especially if Aaron Neesmith clicks, there's like a tiny bit of value for Daniel Tyson, Aaron Neesmith to be together on the same team, right? Coming from Boston. But after that, the value is completely gone. He's just burning a roster spot as the third highest paid player who would never get minutes because of the team's roster construction. And yeah, he's a slight bit overpay, only two more years, cheapo deal. Like if a team gets a center injury during the season, I don't think that they would trade a big asset for him, but maybe they would just use him as a stopgap. But there's just there's not enough role for him on the Pacers now to last very long with this franchise. Yeah, I just don't see it. I think he's trying to even shop himself 
<laughs> a little bit <laughs> and, and find himself a better landing spot with at least playing time, maybe even uh, a realistic shot to play on some kind of contending or playoff type team because, yeah, you're right. I'm not, I'm not sure where Goga gets minutes. So where do you find the minutes for Daniel Tice, if we're being honest here? Because you're trying to find minutes for O'Shea, Terry Taylor. That's going to be a fun battle. I'm, you mentioned Aaron Neesmith. And I don't judge too much about Summer League, but that was not a good impressive uh, imp- no. impression. Did not play well personally. Did not play well with the team. Um, the team-wise, I mean, you're not going to know much about the team going in, plays, familiarity, all that stuff. He was coming off the golf course, basically, uh, in this offseason and joined the team. Now with an offseason and knowing the Pacers are committed and, and want to see from him, he talked about being a 3 and D. I'm not sure... That will exactly be his role, but that's something to keep in mind in what he's trying to demonstrate out there. Um, but in terms of the big picture, I think why this upcoming draft or two will be really important is they still need that number one in my mind. I think Tyrese is probably on a, talking about maybe a contending team in the East, not even championship. Tyrese is probably your third best player. That doesn't mean most important, um, but probably your third best. Benedict, I mean, what if he becomes a number two? Probably not a number one, but we'll see. Um, so that's that's where I see this team could really benefit from one more really strong draft. For sure, agree with that. And and the thing is, I guess you if Matt, you can say Matherin can play two or three, like they could use somebody at, at any position. Really, like they could slide the guys that they have a, a now around enough that it's kind of a blank slate for mm-hmm. what their team could add next season. It's not like they're bound by position. It's not like they think they could. Ha- I mean, you could say they have too many guards. I think some think that, but you know, they have spots to slide in, slide in anybody. So if they do end up with a high pick next year, given that it looks like there's some talented guys at positions kind of all over the board, they could get kind of exactly what they need anywhere. If they could get a high pick. Yeah, they're going to be all over this draft, as they should be. Uh, I, I'm surprised that it's actually taken me this long to get to it. we got to address Miles Turner in this type of situation here. He's, for one, he's entering a contract year. For two, he hadn't finished the last couple of seasons due to injury. Seems to be 100%. He seems to be in a good place mentally. Uh, he returned to Indianapolis last week to gear up uh, for the start of another season. Been here since 2015. And basically the rest of the roster entirely new. Now, a lot of national talk, I will say, about the Lakers, Russell Westbrook. I don't think it's ever gotten close. I don't think the Pacers will force it or push anything like that. I think they would be willing to do a deal like that. Um, but it, it never got close. So that's why you, I think if you're the Pacers, you're looking probably for the Victor situation from a couple of years ago where player returns from injury, player performs well in the first couple of months, and then the Pacers can be... Can, can get and in, in get involved with a deal where both teams are better off in the long run. How do you see this playing out? That or, you know, you never hope for this as a fan of the sport, but, you know, if another team has their quality center get hurt early in the season on the flip side of the injury coin, they could go, oh, well, Miles Turner on an expiring contract could be the, the piece we needed to bridge through the rest of the season, right? So I think things could change that make this very dynamic and you know you were there but I thought it was noteworthy Kevin Pritchard was doing his his media availability Thursday and and was asked about Miles and he said yeah you know he's excited about this season but he's a free agent next summer and then someone said Mm -hmm. have you had extension talks and he said no comment but I was like you just said he's a free agent (laughs) if there was talk about an extension that would not be the case it doesn't seem like 
he'd be willing to sign one. And look, he'd be an unrestricted free agent for the first time next summer. I totally understand why he wouldn't sign one. Even if he wanted to return to the Pacers, there's no point in signing one from a cap perspective. He could get the same deal just waiting till free agency. So it seems like it's going to be a thing that lingers throughout the season because there's no real incentive for an extension from either side, honestly, at this stage. So, uh, you know, as it develops, if Turner's playing well, if another center gets hurt, or if the Lakers start like 5-15 and or something, you know, it's just something that will kind of never go away. And it's hard to see how it plays out, but it seems like to me, unless the Pacers are magically a 45-win team pushing for a playoff spot, you know, they have to find a way to trade Turner before the deadline somehow. So what the thing that will change is going to be that ultimately ignites a deal will be fascinating to see. Yeah, from a Pacer perspective, I think you either really need to know he'll do an extension and you want that at the right price or move him by the trade deadline. Otherwise, you cannot risk, certainly not in this market, losing him, his talent, his, his former first-round pick for absolutely nothing. Now, from Miles's perspective, this is another reason why I alluded to Victor a little bit, remember, is because the injury. And, you know, Victor never was the same and ultimately needed surgery again we don't know that with miles and where he exactly stands um i think he's doing well now but could it come about again that stress reaction in his foot big man and feet i know that's more of like a stereotype or we're going off history for me if i was miles that would be the one thing i would consider otherwise if you throw that out you are exactly right tony yeah you want to get to free agency you want to have the ability to control your future some teams are going to have a lot more cap space than they did this past year, and values are going to go up because the TV contract coming up in here in a couple of years. So more players are going to get paid and in higher value. But this is going to be an ongoing storyline, like it or not, for the next six months. Yeah, and a part of the storyline too, even will be you know remember right before he got hurt last year, about three weeks before he got hurt, didn't play again was when he said hey, I want a promotion and role clarity. Not necessarily like more touches. That wasn't what he said, but kind of what he meant, you know. And they they were giving him a little bit bigger of a role in December, and he was playing well before the foot stuff popped up in a way that was like, okay, this is good. This is worth exploring. And Rick Carlisle had all these visions for Miles Turner, the lob threat that never really materialized. So this year, yeah, he's playing with another big man again, but I think in the hierarchy, he's better than Jalen Smith, right? So how he is used, how he plays will also be important. Like there's been a lot of reasons to put kind of qualifiers on a lot of what he's done in his career. He's playing with another big, he's playing with a coach that doesn't necessarily perfectly value his offensive skills. He's been hurt that, you know, all these things that this, like if he's healthy to start the season and he's got this perfect setup point guard, it's like, this is the time for Miles Turner from a Pacers perspective to show that he can be a little more than he's been in the past couple of years. I think he can be, but will he be is the question. And if he's not, and things don't necessarily break their way on the trade market, how does that play into it as well? He's one of the more interesting guys to monitor, honestly, the whole time he'll be mm-hmm. with the blue and gold this year. Yeah. Let's, I think this is the time when you can kind of throw out, hopefully those qualifiers, the two right. bigs, the coach, as you mentioned, uh, I think the other thing being featured more being the, being the only five and playing with Tyrese, a, a first true point guard he's played with because the Pacers haven't had a true point guard, I believe, in a couple decades. I go back to Jamal Tinsley. So I'm very curious what Tyrese can help him and the rest of the team unlock a little bit. Uh, You mentioned Rick, so let's kind of go there. The other big thing that is nice going into this next season is finally some continuity with the coaching staff. The only one they lost was uh, a secondary assistant coach player development with Tyler Marsh by the way congrats to him winning a WNBA title as an assistant coach with the Aces 
but I think that's important. You could not have a third straight coaching change, um, even with so many new players. Um, so I'll be very curious to how Rick sets the tone on Monday for the rest of the season, and then also how he goes about using these different guys because he has so many different combos and lineups. And I think I hope there will be a lot of experimenting. Yeah, he's really good at you know getting funky lineups to kind of work. <laughs> That's one of his strengths as a coach, and I think he'll have to do that a lot because, like we've talked about, they have a lot of guards and a lot of bigs and. Yep probably three guys you'd classify as a forward naturally on their team right now. So he'll have to get a little funky with who's working where. And, you know, I, I, I've had a lot of interesting thinking about Rick Carlisle this offseason because every time I, I talk about the Pacers on a non-Pacer-centric anything, there's a lot of questions about, like, how does Rick feel about this team situation, right? <laughs> because, you know, you go back to last year, there was a lot of murmur about, and he didn't sign up for a rebuild. And even when they played the Heat in this TNT game, I remember Jared Greenberg was doing – the sideline report, and he said, I was talking to Rick before the game. He said, no, I didn't sign up for a rebuild, right? But now, you've been there. You know, we've been talking to Rick this summer. Uh, you know, He had that season with the Mavs, Luca's rookie year, where they weren't supposed to be any good, and I think they only won like 31 games or something. And he's had to have kind of be, be a coach that works with, the, on young, with younger players on development and helps guys grow. And part of what he loves about coaching is teaching. That's why he stays late in the gym with Benedict Matherman and other young guys at night to help them get better. So are his – Talent as a coach perfectly suited to a team that isn't going to push for the playoffs? No, maybe not. But I do think he can do a good job and have a lot of fun, too, coaching a team where he's doing a lot of teaching and skill development and helping them grow where the results are maybe a little more tangible on a week-to-week basis outside of wins. So I I don't know exactly how well he'll do because the Pacers have never really angled to be or look like they're going to be one of the worst teams in the league in forever. But he has had success developing talent and the last half decade, even with Dallas, and he has seemed excited about the, the opportunity to be a teaching coach this year instead of a wins and losses coach. That's a very good point, too, and that's where we benefit from going to practice, right? And we see, and this is more than any coach I've covered, assistant or not, is you'll see Rick, even with the draft potential prospects here, is he might be working on a shot or a free throw or or, or rebounding for him, working one-on-one. He loves that stuff, and and yeah, that is exactly why you get into coaching. And so if you go to Rick's resume and look back at what they did, this kind of, to me, resembles the second year of, of that Dallas rebuild. They won 33 games, then down to 24, which I think could be like this year, for example, then up 33, then up to 43 and back in the playoffs. And that's what you're talking about. So right. I think you take one more dip and then perhaps one more kind of big jump after that then you're talking, and, and I know it's not easy for fans to swallow, but what I hope now is now that fans have an option with Bally Sports Plus, I know it's $20, that's ridiculous, but there is an option now, and the renovations will be completed here at Gamebridge Fieldhouse. I think that's something that should help re-energize fans a little bit, and quite frankly, there's probably been a lot of fans, Tony, that have not been to the Fieldhouse since the pandemic, so they haven't seen renovations one, two, or three now. Um, and I hope that kind of provides a jolt into the building because there were many nights when we were there and the only thing that was exciting was you looking forward to your key bank stuff, right? <laughs> <laughs> I looked, I did look forward to my deal or no deal. Yeah. Oh, deal or no uh, deal. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> yeah. It'll be, that's interesting. Like if you went to a game, even in early 2020 pre pandemic, you could come back and there's like an ice skating rink and a lookout bar and all the stuff that you've never seen before. Like new locker rooms, be... new bars underneath. New video yeah, yeah. board, like the place 
kept its bones, but it it looks brand new from the inside. Yeah, it's totally different, and so is the team, obviously. So uh, <laughs> it will be really interesting to see how much the the fan energy can be, and it's gonna you know the way they're kind of set up, where they're a high volatility offensive team, like they're gonna they're gonna have some games where they just score like 140 and it's like oh that was fun and awesome they're also gonna have some games like that hornets game last year that you were at and that herb simon was at where they gave up 100 bajillion points and uh, laughed out of the building so it depending on the game you're at the fun level could very much vary but i think they could be also from a you know pay money to see them perspective like you could just show up to a random game and there's like oh this team looks like the best team in the league tonight and that's a good point i'm brad you brought up defense here as we wrap up because that's another thing while yes it is a rebuilding year we do need to see some market improvement in there because there were several games where to your point it was laughable and it was like what are we even watching here like why are we watching this that's that's a lot of effort that's knowing the scheme and that's playing together and and it certainly will help having miles out there but they need to become less reliant on him and uh, play more togetherness defense. Any other thoughts, Tony, here as we wrap up, whether roster, cap-related, or anything? Uh, not really. The defense thing, you know, I mean, it, you just don't see the Pacers. They were last in defense from the trade deadline on. Like, that is so not the Pacers' ethos. Not 124 that points per game. Unacceptable. Yeah. It's, it's not even a requirement that you fit your ethos. It's just for this franchise and this city, it was just jarring to go from sixth in defense three years ago to – you can't even watch them on the end of the floor sometimes. So th- there's a lot of, I think what makes the season so interesting is just everything's kind of a question mark and a blank slate. Taylor Swift song will be the, the theme of the season, but yeah, how they fill I that in and that. how they you know, kind of draw the bones of what their core will be. Cause remember <laughs> Kevin Pritchard just said he doesn't know if they have their full core yet. So, We'll see how that all shakes out. A lot of question marks about this team. Absolutely. So we look forward to providing that for you as well. Tony at Locked On Pacers and his other outlets. Follow him at, I think, T East NBA. And uh, I'll continue to have your coverage at FieldhouseFiles.com. Tony, I'll uh, see you all this week. You'll probably get tired <laughs> of seeing me. But uh, glad to be back, and thanks for coming on the podcast. Yeah, thanks, Scott. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the Fieldhouse Files podcast, and I'll talk to you again soon. 